listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. This morning, we're going to be uh, looking at actually three different texts. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians 6, 10 to 20 again for our visitors. Again, this is our third week we've been in this as we're trying to understand spiritual warfare. Today I'm going to look at two different texts as well, 1 Peter 5, 6 to 9, and James 4, 7 to 10, to kind of show us that these same concepts that we're going to talk about today are in multiple texts. I could have picked some others as well to show the same uh, truths regarding engaging in spiritual warfare. Uh, the handout you received this morning has all the texts on it. As always, you can follow along on the screen. I will be using the uh, New International Version this morning, the, the 1984 classic one, but you can follow along on the screens or there, or you can follow along in your Bible. So hear now the words of our victorious, conquering King and Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And God's word through Peter. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And God's word through James. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. When I was a, a young Marine, uh, down at Quantico, they were teaching us 
how to engage in warfare. And there were a couple of different aspects to it because, of course, the approach that a lance corporal in the Marine Corps has to warfare is very different than the approach that a general is taking. And in large part, the difference that happens is what is known as strategy and tactics. Strategy is defined as the art of planning and directing overall military operations and movements in a war or battle. It's the big picture, okay? Uh, tactics, on the other hand, is the art of disposing armed forces in order to battle, uh, of organizing operations, especially during contact with the enemy. It's the detail. So in World War II, for example, one of our major strategies was the priority was actually the European conflict. We decided that Hitler and the Nazi threat was a bigger threat than the Japanese Empire. And so the first priority went to Europe, and then second priority was to the Pacific, largely because we knew we had the Marines there, and so you didn't have to give too much attention to it because we were going to take care of everything. Um, so that was the strategy. But obviously, if you are a PFC in the Marine Corps, in the trenches of Tarawa or Guadalcanal or, or Okinawa, you're not, strategy's not what you're really dealing with. You're dealing with tactics right there with the enemy. But both of them are important because even in that battle, there was an overall strategy of which the other things were just a part. Now, I bring this up because today I want to kind of look at the strategy of spiritual warfare. We've talked about what spiritual warfare is, understanding that it's actually real. We talked last week about how we are equipped for spiritual warfare. Today, I want to talk about strategy. What's the overall goal we have in spiritual warfare? And then in the coming weeks, we're going to look at tactics. What are the weapons God gives us? What are the battlegrounds we're fighting? Kind of getting really boring down and saying specifically, so how do I do this? How am I engaged in it? So what's the big picture of what we're trying to accomplish? When we believe the enemy is moving prowling around like a roaring lion in Peter's words or in Paul's words. There's this sense of the spiritual forces attacking. What's our goal? What is it that we're called to do? Well, we begin by talking about the preparation again in each of these passages. And I want to remind us of this because this is where we are gospel-centered people. Okay? The first thing is understanding we are prepared, and we prepare for conflict by being strong in the Lord. As I said last week, you know, the, the saying we used to say when I was at the Academy in the Marine Corps, it's better to sweat in peace than bleed in war. There's a, there's a preparation prior to conflict, and that preparation is being strong in the Lord. Notice in verse 10 of Ephesians 6, Paul begins this passage on spiritual warfare, and most of the emphasis that I've heard from uh, evangelicals tends to be all the pieces of armor and looking at the detail. But Paul's beginning is, no, be strong in the Lord. We talked about this last week in being equipped that the most important thing is finding our strength in God. The first step in engaging the enemy in spiritual warfare is actually engaging in our walk with God. It is actually finding our strength in God. It can never be stressed too much. Our only strength for spiritual warfare is found in a vibrant, close, consistent walk with Jesus. I used that phrase last week. A vibrant, close, consistent walk with Jesus. 
You cannot engage in spiritual warfare today based on last year or last decade's walk with Jesus. It doesn't work that way. If I'm engaged in spiritual warfare, I need to be walking with Jesus closely. And this is because this is what it means to be gospel-centered. We are, the whole point of this is we're walking with Jesus. We are being formed and shaped into his image. That's the ultimate point. The enemy attacks in various ways to try and distract and dissuade and trap, but all of that is to keep us from being formed into the image of Christ. And he has his purposes, but God is sovereignly overruling and working to accomplish his will. And that is done as we walk with him. And so notice all three of these texts, which are about warfare in the Christian life, have the same point. Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. In the text in James, notice James begins by saying, submit yourselves then to God, then resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit to God is prior to resisting the devil. There is no way to do the warfare against the devil to resist him unless I have first submitted myself to God. And then James sandwiches that by saying, come near to God and he will come near to you. Which actually, as we're going to see in a few minutes, is even in the conflict, there's a way that we keep drawing near to God. Even in conflict, we are drawing our strength moment by moment from Jesus. Finally, in 1 Peter, Peter begins this text on spiritual warfare, which was dealing with fiery persecution, actual martyrdom in the church. Here's what Peter says you do to prepare for this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Then he says, now, hey, look, the devil's roaring around. He's doing all this. But the first step is you humble yourself before God. You come near to him. You cast all your anxieties on him. All three texts begin with drawing close to God and only then turn towards the spiritual conflict. Only after we have drawn near to God can we face the enemy. The first move in spiritual battle is a turning to Jesus. That's the first move. That's what we are called to do. In fact, one of the reasons God allows spiritual conflict in the life of the church, okay, let's be clear about this. This is not because God's losing many battles with the devil. He's sovereign. There is no battle. There is no con... Satan and God is not in any way some kind of an even conflict, okay? This is not Chuck Norris and Bruce Lee going at it. It's Chuck Norris and me going at it, okay? The world's shortest kung fu battle, okay? There is no conflict there between them. God is allowing it for his own purposes. And primary among those is I have a tendency to sloth. I have a tendency to start thinking you know, I can walk, you know, just a little bit further from Jesus. And God says, okay. And then suddenly, when I hear the roar of the lion, what do I do? I decide that where I really want to be is actually very close to Jesus. And if I do that, God says, mission accomplished. This is what that was about. So that is the first part of this. We are prepared by doing that. Now, the next part of being prepared before we get to the strategy of what we're going to do, just reminding us of these things, is we are to be alert and ready for spiritual attack. That's been my 
task the last couple of weeks to prepare us for that. Notice here again, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. So you're, you're preparing, you're putting on the armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand. So that you can do the very things we're going to talk about today. In verse 13, after he's told us that our struggle is against not flesh and blood, but these spiritual forces, he tells us in verse 13, therefore, because it is a spiritual warfare, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And then he tells us in verse 18, at the conclusion, after he's listed all the armor, he says, with this in mind, be alert. Have your mind open. Be prepared for what you're, you're looking for. Peter, after telling us, draw near to God, you know, come close to God, cast all your anxiety on him, tells us, be self-controlled and alert. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Peter says, he's prowling around, so be alert. Be aware that that is happening. And 1 Corinthians 16, 13, a little bit different text, but Paul tells the Corinthians this, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong. All of these texts are saying the same thing. Putting on the armor is being alert and being ready for battle. Now, some people do this, you know, in the morning, they, they imagine this and they talk about that and they quote it to themselves. I mean, that's certainly one way. It's not required that we do that. But what all of the texts are calling for us to do is to be alert, to be ready for the attacks of the enemy because they are not just a possibility, they are a fact of life. To be alive today is to be engaged in spiritual warfare. And any Christian, any family, or any church that is not alert and prepared for spiritual attack will suffer injury when the attack begins and they're not prepared. Okay? You're sitting there and you're not ready and the sneak attack comes. Now, if you remember back when we were studying the seven letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, uh, in the, the lead up to Easter this past year, you remember there was the one uh, church, it was Sardis, I think, where Jesus kept telling them, be awake. And I told you all that the reason he used it, he said, you know, be alert. And it was because twice that city was so confident, we're up on this big tall hill, nobody can get us, nothing happened. Not once, but twice they got conquered because they didn't even have soldiers on the wall. They thought they were so impregnable, they weren't ready for warfare. And Jesus is here telling the church, you're falling into the same folly your own city has fallen into twice. You're asleep when you should be alert. Same word that it used for the disciples. You remember in the garden, Jesus said, I want you to keep watch, be alert, same word, and pray because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so Jesus told the disciples, you needed to be alert, but you were literally sleeping. And so then not surprisingly, when the guys show up in the garden, what do all the disciples do? Man, they are routed. And it's because the battle was over before it began. Because they weren't alert, they weren't prepared. And so the question is not if Satan and his forces are prowling around, looking for opportunities to tempt you and me, to seduce us, to confuse, and to attack. 
That's not a question. They are doing that. The only question is if we're going to be prepared for that or not. Or do I think that tomorrow somehow I'm going to exist in a bubble that is temptation-free, seduction-free, conflict-free? Because you are not going to be in that, nor am I. So if we know this, and I've prepared myself by being strong in the Lord, and I am alert that this is going to happen, then what is the strategy of our warfare? What's the goal? What, what am I trying to do overall in the conflict? And then we'll talk again in coming weeks about weapons that God gives us to do that, and we'll talk about the actual battlegrounds where that happens. But what's the overall thing? Well, very clearly, there's a simple word that summarizes this, and it's the word stand. I mentioned last week, and this is one of the places where you, you don't have to have an advanced degree in theology. You don't even have to be able to read Greek. I'm not against those things. They're great. I do have that and do read in Greek, and it's great. But in this case, you don't have to worry about it. It's very clear. You can count that the verb stand is used four times right in the heart of the passage. And if it's used four times, it's not because Paul was stuttering with his quill. It's because he's trying to stress something. And so notice in verses 11 to 14, put on the full armor of God so that, here's why you've done all that preparing, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 12, he tells us that it's a spiritual struggle. Verse 13, therefore, because it is a spiritual struggle, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. Deep spiritual lesson for you in Bible interpretation. If they use the same word four or five times in a passage, Circle those, pay attention. That's what this is about, okay? And this is what God says. This is the strategy of battle right here, that we are to stand. And the picture is not hard for us to imagine. It's the picture of a Roman legion standing there, arrayed in their weaponry, and another army is advancing against them and rushing on them. You've seen this in movies before. And then there's this clash as the two armies run into one another, and Paul says, here's your strategy. It is not to retreat. It's not to look for another place. It is to stand your ground. Where God has placed you, you stand right there. Now, this is a command, and it's done because each soldier and the unit as a whole have to stand their ground. There is no retreat and there is no surrender. Now, why does God say this? Because here's what we human beings do. When we see the enemy rushing upon us, we all want to go hide. That's what you want to do. All the guys, I mean, you, you can hear story after story of young guys who've got all this bravado, and then they go into battle, and when the actual battle happens, guess what? They're not nearly as brave as they thought they were going to be. Because when you and I see conflict coming, we want to run. It's what we want to do. And so Paul says not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. The enemy is going to rush upon you in force. And when he does, you stand. You stay there arrayed. You stand in your unit because remember the 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 uh, armor that he talked about doesn't work for an individual soldier. We always like to picture the individual. It's not the way it works. It all only works in a unit, 
And Paul says, you stand. A picture that reminds me of this attitude that is there, and you'll know this is a good picture because I'm about to use an army guy, not a Marine, okay? But it's a, it's a true story. In the Battle of the Bulge, when the Nazis had started to push back and a lot of Americans were retreating because they were under thing, a tank was rolling by and a young guy was digging a hole with his thing. And the tank said, what are you doing? He said, I'm digging in. And the tank said, well, the Nazis are coming. And the guy said, yeah, I know, but I'm the 82nd Airborne and the Nazis stop here. That's the picture. It's that simple. And the good news is, it's not up to you and I. We're strong in the Lord. It's not about your natural constitution. I don't know if I'd like being a Marine or any of that kind of stuff. It's about who we are in Christ. And you are arrayed. You are equipped with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, with the gospel, with the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Your head is covered with salvation. You have the sword of the Spirit in your hands. You have everything you need. And Jesus says, just don't duck tail and run. Stand. Bunyan, the guy who wrote Pilgrim's Progress and also a book called Holy War, pointed out a long time ago, you are covered in every aspect by that armor except your back. You turn your back to the enemy and you are utterly vulnerable. The strategy is simple. Stand your ground. Stay where you are. So when you and I are under attack, the easy thing to do is to give in to temptation. But Jesus says, no. When the enemy is tempting you, you stand. When persecution arises, the easy thing to do is to turn and to run and to compromise. And Jesus says, no, you stand. When, when a couple is there, and Satan gets in the midst of everything, and conflict starts to arise, the easy thing to do is just say, this isn't working out. So we're gonna just split, we're gonna go our own way. And if you don't think that's the easy thing, look at the divorce statistics in the culture and in the evangelical church. But Jesus says no. When the enemy is there in the midst of your marriage and your family and is trying to do this, you stand. You stand firm on the covenant that was made. You stand firm in God's call to you. When attack comes against a church or a community or in me and my relationships with my friends, is it easier to stay and weather the attack or just say, I'm just gonna get in my car and go somewhere else? Be honest. It's a lot easier. It's our trademark move as our culture. But friends, if every time a family comes under conflict, if every time your friendships come under conflict, if every time the church comes under conflict, you try to bolt the war, you're gonna spend your entire lives running to another place and you're gonna end up at the end with no family, no friends, and no church. Because there is no spiritual Switzerland. It doesn't exist. Everywhere is under attack. It's the nature of our lives and the nature of this warfare. So safety comes from standing. Now, 
Tom Sr. had a word that he felt like the Lord had spoken to him. It's actually three words that I want to bring out that is part of this standing. And we'll continue talking about what standing means. But the phrase was, be faithful stewards. Be faithful stewards. What does that have to do with spiritual warfare? Answer, everything. The temptation in battle is to withdraw. Virtually never does an army win by withdrawing. That, that's not how victory comes. Victory comes from standing, from repelling the attack. As we're going to see in a minute, we have promises that if we do so, there will be victory. But what that means is, I'm tempted to leave my post and my calling. I'm tempted to just give up. Uh, I remember a few years ago, we were down at the uh, Marine Corps uh, History Museum with one of my sons who was going through Marine Corps OCS, and we were looking, and they had stories, and they had a young man who had actually won the Medal of Honor. And in Iraq, he had, he had actually been in a battle, and everybody above him, he was like a corporal, I think, everybody above him had been killed, and he had had an arm blown off by an IED, and then he sat there and he directed all the younger troops what to do as he was bleeding out. And he kept directing them, but he survived. And a general showed up at his bedside and said, how on earth did you keep doing that? He said, oh, I don't know, in boot camp they told me that's what Marines do, so I just did what I was told I would do. I, I didn't know there was another option. See, what we want to do in that moment is just say, hey, I... I got hurt, so I'm done. I've done enough for this battle. But see, the word is, no, you're a faithful steward. You were put here. You were called for this battle. And guess what? You stand at your post. And if you stay at your post, you and the rest of your unit might just survive. But if you don't stay at your post, it's probably death for you and the people around you. We are called to be faithful stewards. We're stewards where God has given us. This is why... I, I am in covenant with my wife. And we've been in covenant now for over 33 years. Conflicts come, conflicts go. We are not leaving our covenant. Period. Divorce is the four-letter word in our house. We're not doing that. We're going to be together. And it's the same thing. If, you, if you're around a church, I, I've been in this congregation for 37 years now. Longer than, longer than I've been married to Linda. 37 years, okay? I was, a, I was a young 18-year-old guy when I first wandered in here in January of 1980, midshipman at the academy. Now, I'm going to give you a secret. In 37 years, there's been good times and bad times. Times it was fun being here and times I thought it was the seventh circle of hell. Okay, because no matter where I was for 37 years, that's the way it would be. There is no place that's not that way. I know that advertisers on TV explain to you, you know, if you buy this toothpaste, your life will be perfect. That's a lie. It won't be that way. And so the call is, well, how do you do that? You just stand at your post. Jesus told you where to be, and you stay there. And how long do you stay there? Till he tells you to move to another post. That's what you do. You stay where you are called. 
We stand against the devil by being a faithful steward of what God has called us to. And most of the sweetest victories in life are forfeit simply because we're not faithful to what God gave us to do. The battle waxes hot, we bolt, and then God says, and you're missing the best I had to offer to you. You're missing the best that was there. So that's the first word was stand. Now, in the other passages, the word stand is actually used a little bit differently. It's used with the word resist. Because resisting is part of it. Because obviously, you don't just stand there with your sword and get plowed over. You're actually applying force back. As they come and they hit you, you're leaned into your sword, uh, shield. You're all leaned in together, and you are resisting. And if you've ever watched the battle, there's actually a clash. And then if your side's going to win, you start pushing back on the other side. And so we're told in 1 Peter 5, 8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And then what are we told to do? Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Okay? The standing is resisting. In James 4, 7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he, it's possible he might flee from you. Is that what the word of God says? Resist the devil and what? He will flee from you. It is a promise, not for a few overcomers, for all children of God. It is a promise. If the devil does not eventually flee, it's because I did not stand. I did not resist. I did not engage in the warfare with the strategy God has given me. When we stand, we are resisting the devil. We are resisting his schemes, his forces, his temptations, his attacks. We're saying, I'm not going to give in to those. Those things are not going to define the way I think, the way I speak, and the way I act. When we resist the devil, he continues to push, okay? The promise in James is not, he gets really close, he sees you're standing there with his shield, and he decides to pull off the attack. That's not the way it works. He's going to hit, and it's going to be a real bone-crunching hit. But if you stand, if you are a faithful steward, if you stand in the unit that you are part of, you're safe. The same analogy is actually used with the, the uh, devil prowling around like a roaring lion. If you've ever seen, they've now discovered in science, you know what keeps zebras safe when the elephants are there and they're all in their herd? All those stripes, the lions can't figure out what the heck is going on until one of the zebras leaves the herd. And then the lion suddenly can see. And the lion knows exactly what he's doing. So why is the lion roaring and running up? What's he waiting for? Bolt out of the herd. Because the second you do, he's found someone he can devour. But as long as they stay in the herd, as long as they stand as a unit, there's safety. But this goes against everything we're told in America. We're told it's about individuals. Well, I can guarantee you from having studied war in both the Navy and in the Marine Corps, nobody talks about individual anything. You start talking about individual and, well, you're going to have to have surgically things removed from your backside after they get done 
kicking you so hard because they all know that's idiotic. You can't do that. That's what gets people killed. You operate as a unit. You stand as a unit. So, and we don't do this. Remember, this is not about, hey, you just, you know, get some guts and say, this is about how do we stand? We are strong in the Lord. I am drawing near to Jesus. I am drawing strength from Jesus day by day by day. And so what we do to draw our strength, and notice this is part of the warfare here, we stand and we resist by confessing sin, by repenting, by crying out to God for deliverance and for him to break the strongholds. Notice this is in the text in James in particular. James 4, 7 to 10. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now at this point we're expecting, you know, hoorah, hoorah. But notice what James says. He goes on and says, come near to God and he will come near to you. And then this, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. See, we want to cut those verses out. But see, that's part of the process. When the enemy hits, we draw near to Jesus, and what we draw near doing is saying, Lord, I am struggling in this area. Fear is dominating me rather than faith. I am being defined by greed rather than contentment. I am being defined by lust rather than rejoicing in what it is that you've already given me. I'm being tempted to lie rather than being a man of integrity or whatever the other struggle is. I'm wanting to flee my post, God, and you're telling me to stand and be firm and be a faithful steward. I am confessing that to you. Jesus, cleanse me. I'm washing my hands. I want my heart purified. That's how we do battle. The first place, we're the weirdest army because we stand on our knees. That's what we do. And we stand in this sense by looking to Jesus, by humbling ourselves for him, not being all arrogant and proud and all of that kind of stuff. The primary thing is we begin by facing Jesus, and even as the battle is going on, we are looking to him. And we are repenting, we are confessing, we are doing this. And so Satan attacks, we resist by drawing near to God, even closer to God. And we do this drawing in confession, in repentance, and, and of the doubts in the spiritual warfare reveals in our lives. Because see, that's what happens when the enemy comes. I've had several intense periods of this in the last couple of years, and one of the biggest things that happens is I discover things inside myself that I can't believe are still there. Things that still are motivating me. And I want to say the only thing that motivates me is like we were saying this morning, it's just a passion for your glory. And then God says, okay. And then spiritual attack happens and I discover I'm being motivated by all kinds of things other than the glory of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, I have a couple of choices. I can try to man up and I'm just going to push through this. And if you got a type A personality like I have, that's a real temptation. Okay, well, I'm just going to man up here and we're going we're gonna to push through this thing. But I can assure you, you're not pushing through Jesus' revelation of your sin. It's not going to go away. I, I'm telling you that not because I read it in a book, but because I've tried it. <laughs> Many times I've tried that. And it doesn't work. 
Jesus is saying, I'm showing you something. I'm showing you where your trust really is because I love you. And I don't want you defined and shaped by that idol. I want you defined and shaped by me. And so spiritual warfare is used by God. See, the enemy wants to pull us away from God. He wants to trip us up. He wants us to become discouraged. But God has another purpose. God's purpose is to reveal our hidden fears, our doubts, our sins, and the strongholds that, that Satan has in our life that may go back that are thought patterns and sin patterns that dominate who we are. As these things are revealed, we resist by saying, I can't believe that thing is still there. Jesus, I'm looking to you. I confess this. I can't believe I'm being driven by doubt or I'm being driven by this fear or I'm being driven by, I have had this thought pattern. My dad was never encouraging. My dad never spoke words of affirmation. And I am being driven by needing people to give me words of affirmation rather than accepting the affirmation you give me in Christ. And so we speak that to ourselves. And it's back to the same thing Jer taught us so excellently a few weeks ago. I fight by preaching the gospel to myself. I fight by saying, Jesus, this is the truth. This is what the enemy is saying. He's got his purpose. I'm not listening to that. You've got your purpose, and I'm going to embrace what it is that you are speaking to me. Now, let me give you an example you can recognize in Scripture. Job. And man, we have messed this up in the modern church. I have heard guys who, well, Job got this because... It's like, okay, well, the story starts with God saying, Satan, have you noticed I got a guy that is so righteous? Now, either God's a liar, or Job is like the most righteous dude on earth. Okay, But even though Job was very righteous, according to God, was there sin in Job's life? See, Job's got wrong conception of God, and he, and he starts by, remember, he's offering those sacrifices every day because he's being driven by fear regarding his children. And so the attack of the enemy comes in. Satan is convinced he will utterly destroy Job Job will curse God, it will be the end. But see, God says, no, nah, I, I got other purposes. You're dumb and got your purpose, but I'm going to overrule in this. And by the end, Job has seen, and Job has confessed his hidden fears, his doubts, his strongholds, his bad theology where he thought, well, I'm being blessed because I've been a good boy. I got my Jack Horner, you know, theology. I stuck in my thumb, I pulled out a plum, and God blessed me. And he realizes in the middle of this battle, yeah, it doesn't work that way. That is not how this works. And Job turns again to the gospel. He says, you know, I had heard about you, but now I have seen you. And I know you are sovereign, and your ways are far beyond my ways. And then notice at the end, Job's not just blessed equally, he's double blessed. In every area, it's exactly, he's got twice as many sheep, twice as many cows, twice as many of everything that he had at the beginning of this. But in the midst of it, the victory was won by Job seeing his own sin, that spiritual warfare. And he was a righteous man. And that means for all of us, that's what God is at work doing. And when he does, when he humbles himself under God's mighty hand, as James says, what happens? The Lord lifts him up. So that's how we stand and resist. Now, the last thing, and then we'll go to applying the word, is 
We stand and resist, and you're going to know this is coming from your prior Marine pastor here. We don't stop there. We're back on the attack. Because the point is, you stand against the onrush, you push back against the onrush, and when, they, when Satan starts giving in, you go on the attack. And that's exactly what is in the text. Notice in Ephesians 6, at the end of the armor, we read, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword is the only offensive piece of armor that is there, but it is used for attacking. Now, I want to tell you, it's used for close-range attack. He could have said, take the arrows of the Spirit. He could have said, take the long javelin or lance of the Spirit. He didn't. And in fact, there's a longer sword. That's not the word the guy used. It's the short sword. It's hand-to-hand -hand combat. But the point is, you're no longer fighting defensively. You are back on the attack. And then notice what he specifically says is, here's how you do that. You pray in the Spirit. And he says further in verse 18, praying for all the saints. Because you realize, in Peter's language, your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same conflict. And so we are reminded and we begin praying for each other and we are on the attack that God's purposes would prevail, not the enemies. And so Paul says, and pray for me. Because notice what he needs prayer for, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I may proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Notice how we have moved from defensive to offensive. You're under attack. You stand, and then you begin to engage, and you pray, and here's one thing you're praying for. I am going to be standing in front of Caesar, and the man ruling this whole place, the guy who thinks he's God, I'm going to proclaim the gospel to him. God has me on mission right at the heart of the Roman Empire, and I want you to pray for me because we are not stuck on defense. We are back on offense. You never win a war fighting defensively you eventually have to go back on the attack. And so we are praying for God's will to be done, for the gospel to be spread, for the darkness to be pushed back. Satan intends for his attack to discourage us, to cause us to cease embracing the word and prayer, but God intends for his attack to cause us to embrace and pray and proclaim the gospel, to speak the word. They've got exactly opposite purposes. And the strategy going into this is, I'm going to align with God's purposes, not the enemy's purposes. I'm going to speak the word of God to myself and to others constantly, not the word of doubts and fears and Satan's lies. And so when Satan attacks, we stand, we resist the attack, and then we go back on the offense. And we begin proclaiming the gospel. What the enemy wants to do is, he wants to distract us. He wants to keep us from engaging where God has called us to engage so he doesn't attack over here. And then we hopefully, from his point, we'll just stop that and we'll rush over here and we'll do this and then we'll attack from another place and we'll just always stay on the defensive trying to put out his little fire. And God says, no, you don't do that. You stand and you counterattack. And where I called you to be, you go there and you get right in the middle of darkness and you push it back by prayer, by proclaiming the gospel, by the word of God. We'll talk about that more in coming weeks. So today, again, I want the big picture. So how do we apply this? What does it mean? Well, it's basically one big aspect today. And the question for us as we think about applying this text is am I standing against spiritual attack? Now, the question is not will you undergo spiritual attack? 
because I already know the answer to that question. You're going to, just like I am. We all are. The question is, when that attack comes, will I fold like a house of cards or will I stand? Because if I don't go into the battle knowing that the call is to stand, then I'm in trouble, okay? So do I have that? So let's unpack this question. First off, do I recognize the attacks when they come or do I live like a practical atheist? I'm going back to that phrase I used a couple of weeks ago. That means when attacks come against my family or attacks come and I am really struggling to believe and to hang in with what God's called me to do, do I think that those are just natural things and I live like my unbelieving neighbor would live and I apply the same tools and principles they would apply as a practical atheist that if God exists, it really makes no difference in how I address this? Or do I say, no, this is a spiritual attack? And spiritual attack says, therefore, put on the armor of God. Therefore, stand spiritually. Therefore, know the purposes of God. Which way do I count? Because if I don't recognize its spiritual attack, I've already lost. The battle's over before it even began. Turn the question a little bit more. When attack comes, do I resist it or do I give in to it? Do I stand or do I say, I think I would rather be in a different section of the battlefield where the battle's not really going on? Which do I do? Let's unpack that a little more. When temptation arises, do I resist it by the word and prayer or do I give in to it? Particularly if it's a temptation that I have fought many times and lost many times. And we all have those areas. Do I just give in? In coming weeks, I'll even probably talk and unpack one. Most of y'all know I struggled with anger mightily for much of my life. I had a big anger problem before I was a believer and I wish it had been left behind in the waters of baptism, but my wife would tell you I was a liar if I said it had been. And I struggled with anger. But when the temptation would come, here, here's, here's a big part of the temptation. I'm just an angry dude, and that's the way it is, and I'm just gonna, you know, I'll repent later. But see, no. I knew the word of God said that man's anger does not work the righteousness of God. I knew my anger was not accomplishing anything, and I rarely got angry with my wife, fear and other things, but I, <laughs> I, I didn't get angry with my wife, but I would get angry with my children, because after all, I mean, what's your five-year-old gonna do if you shout at them, right? But see, the call right there is, I'm not giving in to that. That's not true. That doesn't define who I am. And Jesus, I wanna resist this. And I want to stand against this, and I don't want to be known that way. I don't want that to define who I am. So when temptation comes, especially that temptation in that area that we've lost so many times, do we stand? Do we resist? Do we try to deploy the weapons of God against it? Or I just say, it'll just be easier if I give this in and get it over with. Do we repeat the same patterns in our marriage? 
and our friendships and our job, whatever our calling is. Another question that's related to this in standing. When I understand that temptation comes in that way, do I set high fences to prevent future attacks of temptation or do I create little gates in all the walls and say, well, you know what? I'm not, putting, I'm not planning on sinning, you know. I'm just building gates in the wall because we're doing one or the other, okay? Some of you know, I mean, an area I have not ever given into, I have never been unfaithful to my wife. And I've had friends laugh at me over this, but one of the reasons is I don't meet with women alone. It's hard to get into an adulterous relationship if I'm never alone with a woman other than my wife. Now, I have people laugh at that and say, what, is it you don't trust women? Correct. <laughs> is it that you don't trust yourself? Absolutely correct. I don't trust any of us. We are fallen and we are flawed. And so I built a high fence and I didn't put gates in because I don't want the gate because I don't want to face standing there and saying, I didn't stand. I gave in. And if you were honest, how many solid men of God that stood up proclaiming the word of God got snared because they didn't do that? It is not weak to build high walls. It's wise. So do I do that? Because that's part of standing. I know this is an area, this is a struggle. I'm just gonna build a high wall right here. And then I'm gonna not have a way to get over that wall. Another way to look at this question. When I sin, do I confess my sin to God and others that I may have sinned against? Am I willing to humble myself before God and then humble myself before others? Here's a really humbling scenario. Pastor Dad, who preached that morning, not that this happened in my life, but I read about it in the book. <laughs> Pastor Dad, who preached that morning, loses his temper with a whole platoon of children around him in the house and then has to go to them and get on his knees and say, I was wrong. I did not represent Jesus. I was sinful and I am sorry about what I did, and I humbly confess my sin, and I repent to you. And even sometimes, and just as when you have sinned, there is punishment, here's the punishment I am undertaking on myself right now because of my behavior. Not because I'm being legalistic, or I want you to understand I'm taking it seriously. What I did was wrong to you. And God, I confess the sin to you. Or do you, well, it's covered by the blood of Jesus. We draw near to God by opening up and confessing our sin. The righteousness that is your breastplate is the righteousness of Christ. But friends, my sin can open up strongholds to the enemy. And we don't want that. We do not want that. Another part of this question. When attack comes, do I continue being a faithful steward? That's standing. Or do I abandon my post? The attack comes, and I just say, I just can't continue doing what Jesus called me to do, whether it's in my marriage, in my family, in my community, at work, and I was ministering at the jail, or whatever it is. 
I pull back from that. Because if I do, most often what that indicates is I'm not standing. I'm, I'm giving in, which is exactly what the enemy wants us to do. Now, let me close and we're going to pray. I, I want to remind you of gospel. We began with gospel. I'm going to end with gospel because it's all about the gospel. And here's the affirmation. Christ has equipped you for battle. He has done it. You need not fear. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, and he is no match for Jesus Christ. And he is no match for the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in you. And he is no match for the gospel. The other night when we had our time of prayer and praise and warfare, and we were singing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I love the line that Luther wrote, that one little word shall fell him. It's not God's got to speak a whole bunch. One word from Jesus is enough to finish it all. And you are in Christ. So do not take this this morning, and I really don't like battle and get fear and we need to stand in confidence because of who Christ is, not who we are, and what God has arrayed us to do. So I want to encourage you. Christ has equipped you. Christ goes before you, behind you, beside you, over you, under you. You are surrounded by Christ. In fact, you are in Christ Jesus. And then around you, he has arrayed a faithful army to stand beside you and me. Be encouraged by the gospel. So what we're going to do is we're going to stand and close in prayer. And I want to pray for us, and then we'll have a word of benediction and go and continue to engage in the warfare. Lord Jesus, we admit that if we had our choice, we would live in a time and a place where there was no spiritual warfare. But Father, in Adam, we joined this warfare long ago in the garden. Unfortunately, we joined on the wrong side. But oh, our God, because of the gospel, we have now been transferred off of the, the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of the son you love. And we have a new loyalty that has been given to us by your word and by your gospel and by your Holy Spirit. And Father, we say, though it is a fearful thing, Lord, we know that there is spiritual warfare, but we know that you have called us and you have equipped us and you are the one who leads us into battle. And so, Lord, this morning we proclaim not that we are mighty, but that you are are mighty. Not that our faith is so strong, but the faith once for all delivered to the saints cannot be quenched by anything Satan would do. Lord God, not even that this congregation, Bay Ridge, is so mighty, but that we are part of the church militant and the church triumphant. Father, you have been faithful to keep your gospel. You have been faithful to keep your people. Because just as you did for Peter, Lord, you told Peter those fearful words that Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But Peter, I have prayed for you. 
that your faith will not fail. And when you return and stand, strengthen your brothers. Jesus, we are grateful to know that right now you are at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Lord, we are so grateful for the gospel. So Father, I pray that it would permeate our thoughts. I pray it would permeate our hearts. I pray it would permeate our words to ourselves and to each other. And Lord, I pray that this week, as we wake up one morning and we hear the rumble of the approaching attack, Father, I pray we would not turn in fear. I pray we would not give in. I pray we would not retreat or surrender. Father, I pray we would snatch up the armor given to us in Christ. And I pray we would stand. I pray we would talk and call brothers and sisters and say there is attack, would you pray for me? And together we would stand. And Father, as we stand, would you fulfill your word? As we resist, would you cause the enemy not just to back off, but to positively flee? And Father, would you then empower us to go forth in the counterattack? Lord, there is a task unfinished. Lord, there are those who do not know. Father, there are those who are trapped and bound in the chains of sin. Father, would you use us, would you use the word of the gospel spoken through us to break those chains, to see them freed, and that we might proclaim every word of it fearlessly and full of faith as we should. I pray, Father, pour your Holy Spirit out on us. Father, fill us fresh and new. Fill us with faith rather than fear. Fill us with the Word of God rather than the thoughts of this world. Father, fill us with the hope of the gospel so that we might go forth in a world that is full of despair. Father, I ask that you would do all of this in Jesus' name for your glory and for the good of this city that we love. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now receive the blessing of God. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with all of you. Go in the peace of God, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.